Welcome to Seaside 101 Season 2. We're your hosts, Brody Hillman, Ryan Barroza, and Abby Nofield. This podcast is a collaboration between Seaside High School Future Business Leaders of America and the City of Seaside. For Season 2 of this podcast, we are going to continue to deep dive into what makes Seaside, Seaside. Our goal is to educate the public and inspire people to get involved in their communities. On today's episode of Seaside 101, we'll be talking about community culture, sports, and equity. For our first guest, we have Dan Floyd, COO of Hood to Coast. Welcome. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Dan Floyd, and I am the CEO of Hood to Coast Racers. How did you get started with that? So I'm a runner now, but when I started with Hood to Coast, I was not. I was the spokesperson for Safeway, so the grocery stores here in town. <laughs> not specifically that store, but regionally. I manage public affairs and government relations for Safeway and also marketing. So we sponsored Hood to Coast. I got to know it. Didn't know really anything about running. Wasn't in shape to do running, but I liked it. It was a really cool culture and really great experience, team building and all that. Uh, so I got to know the owners, the orig- sorry, the original founders of Hood to Coast. And then we decided shortly after that, about 2013, that we wanted to, to take what is popular in Oregon and build a brand worldwide. And so the rest is history, I guess. That was nine years ago. And now it's much different, much bigger. So when you say worldwide, what does that mean? Growing up in Oregon, you'd hear about Hood to Coast and you'd hear this popularity. But I just thought it was just here. This little run that goes from Timberline to Seaside wasn't much. But then as I started learning about it, I realized that there are participants from all 50 states, 40-plus countries. So when people come to Seaside, I mean, they are you know, speaking dozens of languages. They're show, we're showcasing Oregon. So there are 40,000 people annually that were placed on a waiting list to get into this single event and right here in Seaside. Kind of crazy, right? So coming from the, the grocery industry, if you're selling bread and 40,000 people want to buy bread, bake more bread. Like you, If they're willing to give you money, they're willing to get into your event, there's that supply and demand that matters. So rather than focus on it from a financial side of things, we really just focused on like what is the mission. And, and what we learned and what we knew is that people like the experience. They like making new friends. They like the struggle of it, but they like hitting the sand and having that victory. So that experience is something they took forever, and creating these memories was important. So we knew that, that that same spirit and that mission could be spread throughout the world. The idea is just to get the world to move, right? So what maybe started in 1982 as a running event, not necessarily diverse, right? It's probably a middle-aged white male athlete was running, and that was it, and highly competitive. Now it's Clearly, about getting the world to move and getting everybody to participate, whether that's running, walking, cycling. With our other events, whether you go to China, Israel, Europe, wherever, just get people to participate in community, really. Uh, so <laughs> even like volunteerism, right? Working the event, me as a former baseball coach, like having my players come back and work and teaching, being able to mentor and teach them like real job skills and with, from a real business, but that's athletic oriented. And hopefully that helps them in their future, for finding great jobs. Movement can be defined in so many different ways. It's as simple as, you know, running or walking, but we want everyone to, like, get involved and be part of the community. So no matter how many people come to participate in Hood to Coast, you guys can accommodate no matter what? No. No, no way. Okay, no so way. How, and that's, does, how does that work? That's what matters. I mean, that's, that's, that's everything for us as far as that growth is concerned. 20,000 people get into the event. Roughly 20,000 people will run or walk and end up here in Seaside. And then another 40,000 people will attempt to get in. They just go onto a waiting list. There's, it's a lottery. It's a general lottery, and then there are automatic qualifiers. There are qualifiers, 
top six finishers from the previous year get in. Okay. There are other ways to guarantee your spot, but for the most part, you're going to be turned away. So we try to encourage people, especially if they're coming from outside the state or outside the country, encourage them to participate in our Pacific Coast Florida events. Washington State. Yeah. But then that's how we fundraise too. So knowing that thousands of people clearly want your spot in the event or want one of those coveted remaining spots, we go back to the participants and we say, sold out event, but we held back 50 spots, for instance. We say, if you would like to, one of those 50 spots, you can make a minimum charitable commitment to the Providence Cancer Center. So just like the Providence is here for $12,000. So those 12 teammates can raise money for cancer research, treatment, support services, and get that spot. That's a good way to do that. So then we are able to raise like yeah. $900,000 that can go Providence Seaside, uh, mainly Portland. But the key is that all these people are coming in from out of the state and out of the country and leaving their dollars here in the state of Oregon, which is pretty cool. What are your short-term goals with that? And then what are your long-term goals, like building into continuing that? Well, short-term goals, just like everybody, we're coming out of a pandemic. So we had to just shift. It went from us thinking, well, maybe we'll just not have the Dakota. So maybe we just close this entire business. Maybe all that community and fundraising that I was just discussing goes away. Mm-hmm. To three weeks later, like, what the hell do we do? We had one phone call from a from a charity partner of ours that said, we need to do some food home delivery, 1,000 meals per week, but for 10 weeks. But okay, let's, we'll get paid to do that for a while and see what happens. And then within just a few weeks, we were up to 5,000 meals per week. Now we're at like, we're over two years that we've been doing food home delivery, right? Because there's still like a sense of community and logistics that it takes to move relay participants is similar to how you do food home delivery. So we picked up, you know, government contracts and we, as a company, kept our company going by doing stuff like that. So short term, it's a long way of saying like mm-hmm. short term. It was just a pivot, like we're reacting right now, but moving into 2023 where there's a little bit of calmness after the pandemic, we can definitely spread the running, walking, movement, cycling culture throughout the United States and as a Hoodie Coast brand. But it all starts with the big event that ends Seaside, which is really cool. Long-term goal, I think, to be leaders in a movement industry. We are leaders right now, but but even more of leaders and take on difficult subjects like like the underrepresentation of certain demographics in running walking industry. So like what I said was you know typically been a white dominant. At times it was more male dominant, but now our event is uh, slightly more female than male. We can take up un- take up the conversation of underrepresented communities and like how do you get every culture group of people to feel welcome in our events and be a part of a community that's getting together, whether it's running, walking, whatever. Show up and just talk, show up and hang out. So one of our people says, just to bring everybody to the party. That's the goal. Get the world to move and bring everybody to the party. Tell us a little more about Hood to Coast during the pandemic. Is there anything that you might want to talk about? We had Hood to Coast as one event, 2013, and then we decided we want to start growing it. Like I said, we're learning to build a company on our own, just like you probably are in class. And like, how do we find employees? So we started by just hiring my baseball players from the <laughs> high school program. And then the kids that I knew that went to college, when they came back, started hiring them. You send people out there to work a 15-hour shift when it's rainy, cold, when things are tough, right? There's a goal at the end, right? It's to get everybody there safely, and it's just like practicing. It's just like playing in the game. It's just, and when your back's against the wall, how are you going to react? We find pretty quickly that athletes react as a team. We learned this as a kid, but we just got to see it in action where, like, the athletes get together and they help each other. Similar to an offensive line in football, the weakest link is going to take everybody down. So our squad looks out for each other, and we think about, like, what type of team approach can we apply here to help us move through things. So with us pivoting to doing food distribution, it was, seems like it was some 
crazy move. Like you're supposed to be doing a running event now. You're taking doing home right. delivery of food. It's the same mentality you would have on the baseball field or a softball field yeah. or any field, right? Like it's a team oriented thing. We have a goal and we're going to get it done. Employers can't find like they're having the most difficult time finding employees right now and keeping them if they do find them, and that's nationally. But we aren't. From top down, our, our employees are staying. So we're trying to figure out, like, what are we doing differently? Like, we have the obvious answers that are an ownership group that shows up to work, that participates in our events, saying, like, as a running, walking perspective. But we're there. Like, we care. And we just have a culture of, like, caring for each other, picking up the weakest link. We don't have a culture that's a show up at 8, go home at 5. It's just do my job. As a center fielder, you know what the left fielder's job is and the right fielder's job is, too. And you go help them produce at a high level. You know, we, we have a pretty flexible, like, work-life balance. We are serious about work-life balance. We meet quarterly with all of our employees, and we talk to them about what do you, like, what do you want to do in this world? Like, what, what do you care about on the weekend? What, what are your goals outside of working at our company? We hold them to it, right? So if someone says they want to climb three mountains this summer, and I check in with them in June, and they say I haven't climbed any mountains, I said, well, you told me you want to climb mountains. Leave, go, next, go climb a mountain next week. So we, just, we hold them to that work-life balance culture, and I mean, honestly, we flexible schedule, and we, we pay them well. Speaking of culture, how do you, you said before, too, like your white man thing, and now you're, you're building into, a, you know, more diversity. How do you incorporate those cultures? Do you think it's something, you know, you're talking about all these people on a waiting list. How do you look and you say, this is a good fit for us, and this is a good fit for Hood to Coast? How do you decide that? Yeah, that's a good question, and the best part is that since we are sold out and it's high demand, we can we can play with the lottery a little bit, uh, knowing that people want to get in there. So so a coveted spot, right, for underrepresented communities is something we can help, you know, move them to the front of the line. But when we do so, it's not always in the best interest of both Hood to Coast and an un- underrepresented community just to move somebody to the front of the line. Important to create a partnership and raise awareness. Like what what is their message? Does it fit with us? And vice versa. And we you know we ask them to share our mission and message if they so inclined and we would want to do the same thing but it starts by listening to people asking questions of our entire participant base but also we have a strong inclusion and multicultural engagement committee that's not well representative of our race but well representative of the actual community which is great and so we listen we have real meetings like we take real (laughs) notes and have action items and we care about uh, what people are saying We, we listen to our audience you know learn how we can better connect we often think about just Hood to Coast, the big event, challenging. It's a lot of running. It's uh, it's expensive. In a way, like your weekend's expensive, right? You need a vehicle. Mm-hmm. You need food, water, lodging. I mean, it's a ton of work. Like, there's a ton of reasons for you to say, I quit. I'm not doing this. But for us, since we have so many other events, you can't come up with a BS excuse, right? Like, I can't go that far. Well, we have a shorter one. Or it's too expensive. Well, we have a cheaper one. And get people in at a, at a level that works and then move them from there, right? Like, how do people come up with their vans when they decorate their vans? Is that like a Hood to Coast requirement? I see a van drive by and there's like a blow up thing attached to the top of it and like like people's faces blown up and they're all decorated. Like how, how did that become I have, something? I have no idea. We want that. Yeah. I mean, that's so important because that is the culture, right? People are out there for really a cult following and they're there to have fun. Dress costumes van decorating, team names, like that's just part of the experience. And so keep it coming. That's, I mean, we want people all into that. Like we want that same spirit to spread to the other events worldwide. It's, I'll be real with you, it's not like the other places. This is definitely the holy grail of 
relay races, even out of our portfolio or group of races. Like, I want to tell everyone that, yeah, Israel and China and Taiwan, like, they're all just as popular as Pacific Coast, but that's not true. Like, this is the event. Like, that's relay events worldwide. So, our, the China event, so we franchise that one. Europe, we own. Israel, we franchise. But our business partner in China is Yao Ming. You know Yao? Former oh, yeah, yeah. Rocket, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the most popular athlete in China, mm-hmm. maybe in the history. <laughs> that was just like a cold call from him to our office. You work with him. He's our franchisee. Have, have you met him? He's our, yes. He's <laughs> our business partner. That is crazy. Yeah. None of us have seen him for a few years, but when it first started, we went over there and met him twice. Met him in Houston for his jersey retirement at the Rockets Stadium. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And yeah, so we did a big press conference and then I kind of like he handed it to his people. Like, I don't even know what question follows that. <laughs> so we go to a press conference, and we barely know him at that point. Like, I think we shook his hand a couple times, mm-hmm. and then we work with his business partner. And then we sit down, like, afterwards, he says, we're going to dinner. Like, I got a couple stories on this, right? So we go, we jump in. We had this, like, small bus, nice bus. It was taking us around to our different spots, just four of us that traveled over there. And then Yao says, uh, we give me a ride to dinner. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> so his crew went a different way, and, like, we followed them or something. And so Yao got in with us in this giant bus, and you got to ask him questions about you know, whatever. He took us to dinner, and it was like a shopping mall thing. Like, they took us in the back door so no one could see him, and they had to shut down the mall. You can tell they told all the employees, to like, shut it, don't look at him. And you walk in, and they're, like, they're beside themselves <laughs> taking photos. Like, I've never seen anything like that, and I've been around a lot of athletes and celebrities, and there, but nothing was like that. <laughs> like, it, it was, I don't know, like, walking with Michael Jackson or something here, right? Or LeBron, right? Like, it yeah. was insane. And then we just sat in like a private room with him for dinner the entire night, shot stories, and got or asked questions really about him playing with LeBron. And all That's that cool. Stuff. Since then, I saw him in Houston, and I've never seen him since. What's one of your clearly? That's got to be one of like your favorite parts of like the culture and like the community you have built through Hood to Coast. But what are what are some of your favorite like specifically like what do you love about the community that you built? Uh, it's pretty cool that you wear maybe not this logo necessarily, but when you wear a Hood to Coast shirt, you wear if you're wearing that shirt. People recognize it mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. Like you could be on the most remote hiking trail and pass somebody. Granted, they are into fitness if they're out on the trail or whatever, but they see it and they know exactly what it is and what it means. And ultimately, like we can be all throughout the world, but like I said, people are still going to want to come to here. They're yeah. going to go on Timberline yeah. Lodge, Portland, Coastal Mountains, Seaside. I mean, alongside you know your event speaks for itself, but how do you promote outside of what's already known? You know, but how do you continue to promote? Okay, just, I'm prepping the both of you because I'm going to turn that question around to you in a second, honestly, because it's it's not easy. So it was really easy in the beginning, like when we first started this thing, meaning Hood to Coast went until 2013. Then we started Hood to Coast Race Series, which is all this other stuff we're doing now, which is mm-hmm. partnering with so many other nonprofits running their business, not business, they're running their events or doing the food distribution or just the Hood to Coast brands throughout the world. So we're doing all that. But in the beginning, our database with all these people wanting to get this captive audience, it was really easy to like work. Like send an email and say, hey, we're starting something, starting Hood of Coast, Washington. So when we did it, sorry, we teased it the first time, five or six social posts. And we said, we're going to open a new Hood of Coast, Washington event next week. We opened it at midnight. And we're like, we could probably accommodate like 200 teams because we don't know what the hell we're doing. Like, mm-hmm. this is all new. We open it at midnight. We go to bed. We're like, hopefully it sells out in a couple months. And we wake up at five or whatever, check, the, check our phone to see how we did. And like, we sold 350 teams just by turning that damn thing on at midnight. Wow. We're like, turn it off, turn it off. We don't even know if we can handle this. So we 
We stopped. We sold it out immediately, and that was just five social teasers and an e-blast. A couple of e-blasts, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's in the middle of the night. People had to get up or stay awake to register. Now it's different, right? Right? So we can send e-blasts. You're like, it's email, it's social, it's doing some geofencing, like, targeting a little bit with social posts, like, or boosting them. That's it. It's becoming more and more difficult. You know, you don't do, we don't do traditional stuff like TV, print, radio. We just don't do much of it. We do a little bit of radio, sports radio, and Odyssey in Portland, and that works out pretty well. But for the most part, I think if people tell you they know what they're doing with marketing and they know how to reach their customer, I think they're giving you a bunch of crap on that. Like, it's, it's pretty tough. To answer your question specifically, mm-hmm. 90,000 participants are on our email database. And when we target those, we do pretty well. Going beyond that, I wish I had an answer for you. It's pretty difficult, and we're we're in the process of learning. And another reason why I don't just have an answer for you is because we're coming out of the pandemic, like still determining what actually will work. So what do you think? How does our business reach your audience or any audience? It depends. I work downtown Seaside. I've lived here my entire life. I know what Hood to Coast is because for as long as I can remember, I remember my parents sitting in traffic like, oh, this goddamn Hood to Coast thing. Mm-hmm. They are also like, you know, it brings in money, it brings in those yeah. things, but I guess I just know about it because I'm I'm in a place where it's happening, yeah. right? And I know people who have ran it and they have stories about it. I mean, for us, you know, we're trying to build social media so that we can reach an audience outside of adults. Mm-hmm. So maybe the, someone in our grade will listen to our podcast. But even then, I mean, I, we started the social media a little while ago. We're reaching, like, thousands mm-hmm. of people, and we're only getting responses mm-hmm. from a few. That's not bad. Like, if like we could reach thousands as well, but I think most industries, if they're, like, 3 or 4% engagement on that post or an e-blast, that's actually pretty good. We're learning too. Like this is new for us, and like we're trying to build something that eventually someone else can take over, and they can keep building off of. Yeah. And I feel like if we had something that was already built, it would be a completely different story. Yeah. But I mean, we're just we're also just trying to like chug along, get what we can done. You're gonna buy new shoes. What do you wear? So how do you how did Nike reach you? How did they find me? I would say spreading across every single type of social media that you can. Social media has played a big part in it now. Everybody has those apps on their phone now by sponsorships on (coughs) Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, literally everything now. And just have it pop up, and it might be annoying to some people, but some people actually look to it. I mean, just like making accounts on all social media. That's where I see everything. Anything that I see, I don't see it on TV anymore. Nobody watches cable television anymore, really. So that's where I see everything is on my phone. So any way that you can spread across all social media is probably the best way. You know, today we look a lot at running in fitness is not something that's very inspiring. It's kind of, it can kind of be like, oh, I have to go run or, oh, I yeah. have to go work out. How do you change that expectation or that standard? I understand, first of all, because coming from baseball and pitched at Lewis and Clark College, there's this trail in Tryon Creek where it's like a five-mile trail. And you get done with practice, not done with practice, but you get done with your pitching part of practice and then the coach will send you off to go run on the trail. We'd go run out there like half a mile and then just screw off for 40 minutes and then be like, okay, we got to sprint this last half mile in so it looks like we're sweating like we actually went on a run. We did that in college. (laughs) Yeah, and we're like, oh, we're getting drafted. Like, we're taking this stuff so super, thinking we're taking it so serious and we're we're not even doing the run, right? It's because we hated it. We don't want to go run on the trail. We don't care how beautiful it is. We didn't care that there's this beautiful creek down there and deer and all that. We didn't care at all. Totally normal for that age. There's no ball or scoreboard. So I get it. But there's also part of me, like, I did want to be pushed a little bit. And so I, it, it grew on me. 
It definitely grew on me. So to actually answer your question, <laughs> I think you got you just got to make it fun, right? If you go to the gym and you don't like the workout, you got to change your workout, do a little more sprint-based stuff, do, do something that's a little bit faster and more fun. But I think that our events have to have music and they have to have food space. They have to have just cool entertainment. A van, a decorated van does have an impact. It's fun. Co- costumes do have an impact. Like, you'll make fun of it, but you're talk- still talking about it, and that's good. So there's got to be more of a culture to it and not be about me running for me and my time. Like it's not about yeah. it's not about I. It's about like getting out and being like creating community and culture. And once you're connected to something, whether you think you liked it or not, it's pretty important because you'll probably be back. Who or what inspires you the most? We should think about that more often. I was asked that question in an interview maybe 10 years ago, like a job interview. What inspires me or motivates me is knowing that our job, like what we do for work is, it's fun. Like I, I love business side of it, but I also love that we're, we have this team-oriented thing where we're really trying to engage people, and I think we're engaging them for the right reasons. And the impact that we'll have on their life is important, their physical health, their mental health, emotional health, all that. And that sense of community is important. It's pretty cool that we can go to work every day, be with like teammates, colleagues that we like, but there are also there's pressure on us to produce for them. Like they're trying to trying to buy a home, you know, and they're trying to have families themselves. And mm-hmm. you know, when I show up every day and do my job, it helps them fulfill their personal goals. And when they do the same for me, I can hit my goals. So it's cool. It's pretty fun to have that team environment. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming in today. For our second guest of today's episode, we will be talking to Marla Olsted. Marla is the head coach of the Seaside High School Girls Basketball Program. All right, welcome. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me, first off. Yeah. My name is Marla Olstead. I'm here as the Seaside High School Girls Basketball Coach. I wear a couple different hats in the community. I work at Lums Auto Center, but I also work for Pacific Basketball League, both the local fall league as well as the tournaments that run January through March for middle school programs. What kind of growth have you noticed throughout the year with the Pacific Basketball League? So I've been involved, whether it be directly or indirectly, with PBL, knowing the Janics for nearly 25 plus years. When they started it, this is actually the 30th year of PBL tournaments, so pretty exciting for them, a great accomplishment. I would say on the tournament level, kind of talk about it in two pieces, the tournament level itself, obviously 30 years, things have grown immensely. One of the largest most notable pieces is the economic impact probably for Mm. our community tourist based when the weather is good and the tournaments i think keep our keep our community alive in the winter time between 70 and 100 plus teams on any given weekend obviously boosts the economy here at seaside Mm. and i I know the hotels and and establishments downtown are are very thankful for that so that's that's a great piece as for the local pbl so november and december our first through sixth grade boys and girls are involved in the pbl fall league program practices are two nights a week and then games on saturdays we had our largest registration this year with nearly 175 kids which is awesome but it is nearly 40 to 50 first and second graders (laughs) in one gym for an hour which can be chaotic kids in itself and 40 to 50 basketballs dribbling is uh it's a full-time job for one head coach and hopefully a couple more assistants so it's it's super exciting to see that involvement in the program just extremely important to continue to keep them involved 
throughout elementary and well into high school. Those are probably the two biggest things that I've noticed with PBL. And how do you encourage them to continue to participate and how do you maintain those numbers from elementary through high school? Definitely there is a decrease. Um, that's that's inevitable as, as things happen. Kids discover their interests and while it may not be PBL or basketball, hopefully it's it's something. I think one of the biggest things that we can do as a program in itself, K through 12, is creating the relationships between 9, 10, 11, 12, our high schoolers and first and second graders. I was actually talking to the elementary school PE teacher, Mrs. Fisher, I believe is her name, at a PBL game a couple weeks ago, and I asked if I could have our high school program come in during PE class. Get to know those kids. They're, they're great relationships. Our high schoolers are mentors and role models. We want to create that relationships where the kids are in the stands cheering on our high schoolers, which will create a, a community feeling like, you know, we hope to have in this small community, keeping people involved. Um, so I would say that is probably one of the biggest things is getting those kids knowing who our high schoolers are and keeping that interest is, is a really big thing. Uh, as a basketball coach, what are the core values of your program and how do you propose people implement those into their daily lives? A couple things that come to mind, whether it be core core values, missions, those kinds of things. I'm I'm very big on discipline. Having good discipline is something that is very easy to carry out in anything you do. So if you have that discipline on the basketball court um, and you're thinking about the discipline you have to have in order to be on the basketball team, it's going to carry over into your schoolwork. Grade checks that I make sure often. You know, my girls, if you're not in practice, you're not playing the next game. One practice is one quarter for me, which, you know, seems harsh, but it's what we got to have to make sure that we're succeeding. So I think another really big one for me is respect, is, is respecting your teammates, respecting your coaches, respecting the opponent, the referees. I think we know a great example are young girls or our experienced girls. I'm going to make sure that everybody is equally respectful to anybody they encounter. And my hope is that the traits that you take from the basketball court carry into life beyond that. Your teachers, like I said, your future co-workers, your boss, your parents, your families, all of those. While we may not love everybody, we have to like them. That's that's very important to me. A couple other ones. I always tell my girls the only two things that we can control are is our attitude and our effort. Got to have a good attitude and our effort. Some games are not going to go well. We know that. We all as athletes have had that in our life happen to us. But how you react to things not going well is a, a huge decision that you get to make and you are in control of that. So definitely your attitude and your effort and probably just commitment, commitment to whatever you choose. We've had our ups and downs in our program, whether it be our numbers, varsity, JV, how many teams we have. And commitment was a really big thing, especially last year for us. We went through having 20 girls at the beginning of our season to to down to 12. And I think there was a lot of lessons in the commitment. It was easy to watch people walk away from our program. What it means to stay committed to something is extremely important and a a life lesson that I think the girls learned watching and and going through those hardships. So definitely being committed to whatever you do. And And if you choose to not play basketball that that's you know that's your choice and and I'll be okay with it but whatever you choose to do be committed what kind of events and activities do you think brings our community together the most I would say obviously athletics is is a great one you know and and I think that that's an easy one for me obviously very involved in athletics the success of athletics helps but I also think when we can promote our sports to the youth will pay dividends 
for that growth, not only in your program, but also as a community. You know, I, I try to get our girls this season. Actually, we had them all go down to the PBL Fall League games because we had a clinic. Those girls were able to see those high school girls at their youth games, making that connection and knowing that they can be part of that. The other thing that we implemented this year is we're having our PBL fall teams, our local kids playing at halftime. They'll actually be at the Holiday Classic this week playing at halftimes of the boys and girls games is they'll be in the stands watching the kids they know and getting to be them if they choose to one day. So I really think just really involving our youth with our with our older girls and vice versa is, is a huge piece to our community. Then we're really very fortunate here in the community because there's also a lot of alumni and grandparents of alumni that may not be here that, that want to support us. So making sure that we can find a way to let them know when these events are happening is a great thing for our community because we're a great group of kids, you know, here in the community and we want to support you in however we can so you talked a little bit about um, commitment what do you think has the biggest effect on participation both positive and negative and uh, how do you suggest we increase participation and maintain that so I definitely think encouragement at the youth level. Like I said, you know, I'm, I'm big on the youth. It happens so fast that it, if we don't commit to them now, that we're almost doing a disservice to them. Just really encouraging that the youth to participate and making it fun for them. We can continue to make things fun for them, but also teaching the values of life and how hard you have to work in respect to the age that they are to work hard enough that it pays off for you, you know? So athletics are, while it's important to win, you know, and and that is a priority, there's a lot of lessons in sports and athletics that carry way beyond that basketball court. And that's something that I try to remind my girls of often, that I want us to be good basketball players and we're going to learn things about being on the basketball court that are going to be valuable. But while you're a good basketball player, I want you to be an even better person. And I think that there aren't a lot of opportunities like athletics that can provide those values in life. There's other opportunities, but I think that athletics is one that is very unique. And back to you know your, your question a little bit is providing opportunities for our youth that we, we can all be that are available to us. You know, I know that's one big thing is how do you get the message out to everybody and make sure that everybody can participate. And PBL, while there are fees associated with registration, Frank and Carrie Janik have, have made it a priority that you can play whether or not you're able to pay, you can afford the registration. They have implemented things for every kid. And I think, you know, it, it's gotten better. And, and whether that be the pandemic and kids deciding that they want to play or whatnot, um, obviously our sign up, our largest sign up ever is kudos to many moving pieces. But I definitely think making it fun and letting people know that it's available oh, for us in this room. It's, we know where to look for that information. And the form may have landed in a backpack for a great school or it may not have. So how do we get that information out to those kids early and often? Elementary schools, the PE teachers are great about helping us out. But just continuing to get that information out is a huge thing. And finding where that is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a struggle for everybody. How do we find out where to put that information that everybody gets it? So I just, again, the youth level is a huge piece and use those resources. What ways can we promote and fundraise for teams, groups, clubs, and activities in our community? 
When I was middle school, maybe just just before I got to high school, the school district was in a position where they were cutting budgets. And one of the primary things was athletics in the sense of whether or not we have a JV team, varsity-only sports to cut down on some of those expenses. My dad was actually the booster president at the time. They created an event and it was called the One Big Night. I was at the old high school. Every group that wanted to participate or request funds from the boosters had to be there representing their club or athletics. They had to raise hundred thousand dollars to keep these JV teams and clubs and and things alive and it was it was just it was very moving one to see the investment from such a small community that was remarkable to me but the the other part of it was they created those those thousand dollar boosters with that we were able to fund athletics in a way that then those those booster donors weren't asked for money from a club because they had already given their funds for that year. And so then the athletics or clubs would be in conversation with the boosters and things of that nature. So I think, you know, I would love to get to a point where we're having one big night for all athletics and clubs rather than every baseball season or every, you know, swimming season, we have to go out and pound the pavement for the fundraising dollars that we need. And in that way, uh, I think it creates, you know, some camaraderie and and for our programs themselves. I know who's on this team. I know who the coach is because not working in the school or for the, the, pardon me, in the school, I miss a lot in all reality. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly invested, but I can only imagine someone who didn't grow up here as a coach or as a coach. They There's a lot of things that you don't miss, and I still miss things, you know. I, I still completely miss things, and I feel like I'm fairly involved. So getting people together for something like that I think would be a truly impactful, meaningful, and the kids would be there as well. So it'd be a fun night. Things have changed. You played basketball here when you were in high school and stuff like that. And what are some of the biggest like equity gaps you would say you've noticed? You know, obviously we, we'd love to think that we're inclusive to everybody. You know, I think there's always an opportunity for to better ourselves. But equity gap wise, you know, one of my big things has always been making sure that everybody can be involved. Like, you know, I said PBL and such. And I know they have that at the high school. You know, if you don't have the funds to play, we're going to make sure you can you know, don't let that limit you. And that's that's very important for me because you'll hear stories, success stories all the time of people who were were not could not afford to play and now they're some of the biggest and best in professional sports. I definitely always want to feel like people are included and don't have to limit themselves based on that socioeconomic status. So that's probably my biggest one and I know, you know, it's a, a wide variety in this community and so just making sure that that we have resources available to anybody and that they know you know and maybe that's better better doing on us as coaches uh, making sure that everybody knows they can be involved and kind of to bounce off Abby but also allowing everybody to continue to make sure if there's 15 kids that want to play we're going to find a way to make sure that 15 kids can play, whether that's finding another coach, but not limiting ourselves so young that when they get to high school and they want to think about playing, they don't feel this competitive difference between them and the girls or boys that were playing years ago. The heartache that some of our players went through, and I've never seen 12 girls rally 
like they did. You know, during the holiday season, they were extremely selfless. Those are the moments for a coach that mean, I don't care how many, we didn't have to win another game. Absolutely did not care what happened on the court because I knew that at the end of the day, they were great people. And our wins were tough to find last year. There's no doubt about that. But the girls' attitudes never wavered. And, and I knew that they had each other's back. And, and I appreciate that as a coach. That's definitely one of my most memorable seasons. And probably, I hope to be here for a while, probably tough to top just because of the good people, you know, that they are. Who or what inspires you the most? Oh, gosh, for sure. <laughs> so in regards to basketball, I probably say my girls. I, I know that may sound cliche, but I I want to make sure that I'm giving them everything I can as a coach, you know. So whether that's being, whether that's watching film, whether that's finding new plays. I mean, just yesterday we had a day off and I think I was on the couch for like six hours looking through emails that I get from different basketball marketing things. And I was drawn up new plays, trying to create things, you know, just give them everything I have every season. And, and the girls know, you know, I have, I have some pretty high expectations and, and I want practices run, you know, one way. And I think the girls understand that that's because I want the best for them. And so I have to be the best I can. So um, definitely my girls inspire me. I'm a pretty dang competitive person. So I'm going to make sure that that I do all I can. And I am relatively young as a coach. And obviously, you know, Abby is a senior. You don't, she doesn't want to hear that I'm trying to be the best coach I can for the years to come. We want to make sure that I'm taking care of the group this year. And I think we're, we're doing all right. Got a bunch of different girls who have never played together. So how can we as quickly as possible build that team chemistry, be successful, and the girls feel like they are part of something that lasts forever and create those relationships with each other that are meaningful way beyond the basketball court. So uh, my girls, mentor-wise, I'm in contact with Carrie Janik. She's a a huge part of my life. She's just a great person, you know, very level-headed. The girls would probably say I I need more of her in my life, (laughs) but I, I just, relationships are really important to me. So my girls and Carrie Janik, obviously, you know, Frank is assistant coach and, and Carrie's husband, another, a great person. My dad has always been always in the stands. I haven't played basketball for, you know, 15 years and they drove down to Junction City this weekend. And my mom has been our bookkeeper since I was in high school. I mean, my sister was playing basketball in 2000 and she was doing the book then for the boys, <laughs> Billy Westerholm. So, you know, she's pushing 25 years of keeping the book. So I, that's, that's important. And, you know, I don't take it for granted. So that's kind of where I'm at. So thank hi. you so much for thank coming Thank you guys. Us. That was great. That was awesome. It. Thank you. If you want to listen to more episodes of the podcast, follow us on social media or email us about the podcast. Click the link tree link in the description of today's episode. You can also find posters with information about FBLA and the podcast located inside the businesses of today's guests. If you want to learn more about how things are run or want to get involved in your community, check out www.cityofseaside.us. To stay updated on the latest of what's happening in Seaside, Oregon. Production and editing completed by Brody Hillman, Abby Nofield, and Ryan Verosa. Coordinated with the help of Mike Verhos and John Rail. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Seaside 101. Once again, we're your hosts, Abby Nofield, Ryan Verosa, and Brody Hillman. Signing off until next week's episode. episode.